0: Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Redbeard Radio. You have the team of Redbeard, myself, Alana, who's a partner at Redbeard. You have the founding partner, Drew Austin, who is in transit but made sure to join this week. We have Mitchell, who is our analyst. And then, most importantly, we have our guest co host, Aiden Gold. Aiden, how's it going? Welcome to Redbeard Radio. How are you doing?
1: Thank You all for having me. I'm fired up to be here. This is super fun. This is,
2: Wait, awesome. Can I can, can I say that your title should not be partner at HyperGlop? It should be fiance to Trading Female. Yeah, <laughs> <Like that, laughs> we should have that. Should easily be the right title here.
1: Yes, yeah, sec- second in command to Trading Female.
2: There you go. There you go. <laughs>
0: Um, Aiden, well, thanks so much for coming. I'd love if you could give some background about yourself. I also know you had an exciting week because you actually just launched a sitcom about two bros in VC. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and about your show that you recently launched.
1: Yeah, super quickly. So I've always been fascinated by how like science and technology can be commercialized through startups to change the world. Studied neuroscience, was working in biotech as a startup that was trying to solve the organ shortage and then basically found my way into venture capital by partnering with someone that had a YouTube channel that was covering kind of the hyper change world that we're living in of acceleration in science, technology, and culture. And yeah, basically this guy, Galley was making YouTube videos about Tesla and SpaceX and started talking about startups. And when he said that he wanted to invest in Spacex these other startups all of his subscribers wanted to invest alongside him and he was super overwhelmed so I decided to help him out and join him because I was working on investor relations for a biotech startup and so I started to working with him and then yeah since then we've like have now like 30 million dollars in assets under management we have a small fund and we continue to do syndicates kind of like Redbeard
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I know today specifically, we're going to be talking about a lot of AI investing in AI, we're going to be talking to one of Redbeard's portfolio companies, uh, Oasis, which is building an AI ghostwriter, helping you uh, talk and then do text translation in different languages. But just so people know who are listening, like, have you invested in AI? And if so, what companies have you invested in?
1: Yeah, we've invested in two chip companies, one that's like truly focused on making compute more energy uh, and efficient and like faster. Um, It's called uh, Kyber. Um, And then another company that's more focused on semiconductors that could be applied to AI, but it's more just general computing. Um, And then we also did uh, a company called UberDuck, which has uh, partnered with Grimes and David Guetta and some famous artists to kind of, use their voice to make AI music.
2: Awesome, super cool. I, I uh, think actually, Aiden, well, that, that actually lends itself to a question, to a, one of the discussion topics I wanted to have today a little bit, which was, all right, we all think that like, you know, obviously we think that AI is one of the most incredible technologies that we've come across, um, at least in our generation. And I'm, I'm want to talk about how, with, uh, sorry guys, the train is passing right now, so if it gets a little noisy, Uh, Apologies in advance, but I wanted to discuss a little bit about the industries that will that are surround AI that will be tangentially uh, impacted because of the rapid adoption and like widespread adoption of AI. What do you guys think that was a
1: Yeah, I mean, so so much of it, it, like from my perspective, is like the training data, like how much can a, a neural network train on? I mean, we used to call AI machine learning. Now it's called AI but just like of like how much information can something gather Um, and arguably like one of the most advanced AIs in the world is just kind of uh, Tesla autopilot. You know, they have millions and millions of Teslas on the road that are gathering like hours and hours of cars driving different inferences. And so by constantly training itself, it's able to kind of be intelligent. So my question is kind of like what, uh, you know, LLMs are going to be out there training so much and so easily that they can kind of make a really good AI model because so much of it is the data input.
0: Yeah, and I know you just mentioned LLMs, so like ChatGPT, any type of large language models, they've gained a lot of attention lately. So how do you guys see LLMs shaping the future of content generation than what other industries? Because you're mentioning right now, like electric cars and utilizing LLM. So where else do you see being really disrupted? Hmm.
3: I mean, if you think about it, any place where a, you know, it, 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 if a human can be trained to do something and it doesn't require like fine dexterous motor skills, it can pretty much be handled by an AI at this point, and if not now, a, a year or two in the future, maybe. Is all is all we'll need. So any kind of like customer support is probably going to be reduced to a ton of LLMs and one specialist that things might get passed up to every once in a while, or you know any kind of like uh, simple sales calls, B2B sales, things like that. Anything that requires you know someone to basically just learn the beats of a conversation and know how to answer a set level of questions. That can be very easily replaced today. And there's tons of people working on it. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think we're seeing like a ton of saturation in the market. Like if you look at valuations right now, they're crazy. All the investors are trying to get into it. So is there any industry specifically that you feel like aren't saturated, that you think there's still a lot of, that you'd be interested in investing in and specifically looking into?
1: I mean, I think like you have to take like, it's it's i think the things that you need to focus on is like where are ways where there's lots of proprietary data that you can access that other people can't access um that has like large it's it's it has large scales like like healthcare for example that then you can make sense of it in a way that was previously not possible before without llms and so i think you need to think about things where it's like well how can you get unique access to data and then what does the Having LLMs and making sense of this data allow to give you that then can be built on top of it with that information. Um, and I mean, I think for like the difficulty with healthcare is that like a lot of this information is like confidential in terms of like you know like uh, HIPAA compliant and you can't see patients and stuff like that. A lot so,
2: of data. A lot of lot of data siloing.
1: Yeah, um, and so h- how what makes these companies uniquely able to get data that others aren't you know Um, and I think that's a good question you have to ask yourself Um, because you know if everyone's training on the same data then how is your LLM going to be that much better you know
3: Mm
2: it's actually you know the the data data training um, that is like that's actually a big opportunity in of itself I think we've talked a little bit about this but in the past, but um, because last week, you know, we had another, it was a a different side of the AI conversation um, with Blockade Labs talking with their team about how they're doing a lot of like art generation and game world building and world generation. But, you know, what I was talking about recently was um, how the infrastructure for building out proprietary AI data models, leveraging large data sets, that's also a very interesting investment area. So you know, like for me, like some of the things that I'm looking at and looking for are, you know, a I think that just building a consumer startup, uh, specifically with AI, you really got to introduce a new use case or new user experience that that just doesn't exist. And I think we're going to see that we're going to learn a little bit about that today with Oasis, because um, they're doing just that. But the, the other you know because the other major thing that we're going to see a lot of is startups that are attempting to break into a space but they introduce an ai an ai experience from larger enterprise organizations because the barrier is low to leverage a lot of these open source data um, llm models they can introduce a new feature into their own existing platforms with existing customers and user bases and that gives a, a um, Startups kind of a disadvantage in entering the space, while it gives enterprise organizations a real um, fast track to draw to getting value out of AI. So to me, I think the things that I'm really interested in from an AI perspective is also learning more about, um, you know, again, what is going to support this system? Like you said, the chip, like, you know, I mean, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your chip thesis, because I think that the thesis around AI chips is also in line with what are some of the tangential, you know, opportunities that invest, that are going to arise for, for investors that uh, may not be like the most direct um, AI use case, but will more indirectly support AI. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I think you just brought up a really good point, Drew, about like I was just talking to this company the other day called Science IO, and their whole thing is just taking healthcare data and uh, helping like basically enterprise make sense of it and they send it back. So for example, like all these healthcare companies have all these credits with Amazon or Microsoft um, or Google where they have all their data and they have all these cloud computing capabilities, but they actually can't really use it because the data is just like, like it's basically ward vomit from all the healthcare systems. So they can't really make sense of it. So basically what they're doing is they're sending it to science IO and they're like making it super clean, organized, you know, like. Making it basically readable and then they send it back and then the companies can do something with it. So drew to your point, like there's this picks and shovels play of like just how can we make sense of data, organize it better and just building the foundation for a lot of people to just like have AI algorithms um, to to, to make sense of data.
0: Now, what's the difference between Science.io and just taking your information and putting it into ChatGBT and being like, hey, make this data more legible, summarize it? Because I think that's what a lot of these different kind of LLMs are struggling where like they're kind of doing all the same thing. So I'm curious to know what differentiated that specific product.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think what they're doing is they'll, they'll break it down in a way that's like very like searchable. Um, And it's an interface where you can look up like everyone with a certain disease at a certain age and kind of create these like keywords in like a massive database. That's like more like beautifully designed. So before you were, you know, you could put it all into, I mean, this is like, um, like millions of patients. Like this is like, like very, very big scale. Um, And it's like really hard to organize it and like search and keywords and like have it come up in a way that's like understandable and like, you can actually make insights from it. So like a huge part of their offering is just like, yeah, making sense of data um, using these LLMs. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Mitchell, I'm going to throw it over to you. Like, obviously you're seeing a lot of different companies. You're reading a lot in the space. What is exciting you right now in AI that's really catching your attention?
3: Honestly, and uh, the, the vertical that's been exciting me the most but I haven't been seeing, or I've been seeing some activity in it. But for how much potential it is, I I, I don't think there's nearly enough. the uh, the i the idea of a either a digital twin or a digital assistant, I, I feel that's going to that's going to be like the AI thing that really changes everyone's life. You know, like right now, it's changing a lot of a lot of you know software developers' lives, a lot of writers' lives, a lot of artists and freelancers. But when we all can just have and, you know, it'll be trained on the data that you already have and can provide uh, and it'll be sitting in your pocket, you know, all day long following you around at a certain point. It's going to be able to, in our case, maybe take meetings, make phone calls, book an appointment, uh, you know, on your behalf uh, or just, you know, uh, be able to assist you in, you know, in whatever thing you don't want to contribute your brain power to. You can just say, hey. Uh, you know, call my mom, th- uh, tell her to uh, uh, tell her happy birthday. Call my doctor, say i gotta uh, I have to uh, uh, you know cancel this appointment. Find me a good place to have lunch with my brother. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It, I, I think, you know, and that that will come eventually, and it'll probably come under the wrapper of oh, this is this is apple's, this is this is Microsoft's. This is Google's personal assistant digital twin but the technologies that will be required to put something like t- that together are being developed right now by these startups. And, you know, they're going to be just just solid gold for acquisition, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of other um, things in the industry that take parts of that. Like I'm seeing an AI EA that basically you could just, it will find time on your calendar where you're available and it will send it along. And I think you're even seeing these AI that take, facial recognition and your voice. I'm seeing it in the scamming instance where you're going on Instagram, they're taking people's Mm -hmm. voice, they're taking people's face and they're actually making like combining it and then they're trying to scam people. So what you're saying where you're like, hey, send my mom a birthday message, which I'll hope we want to call our moms individually, but let's just say you don't. But you could go ahead and take your voice and take your face and send it out, which is crazy to me. So- what do you think it's going to take to actually get there? Because I think, like, personally, I want my AI to write tweets for me. I want my AI. It's like, what's missing right now in the space? Like, and how are we going to get to that place where there's actually going to be a digital twin of you?
3: I think, I think it's going to happen quick. And just the moment, it's just slightly easier than doing it yourself. You know, mm-hmm. like Siri got adopted super, super quick. People didn't have to. There wasn't a huge learning curve for learning how to use Siri because you you just talked to it and asked it a question and it e- it either could do what you wanted or not. Also, uh, in case my mom is ever watching this, I promise I will call personally and I will not have I will not have a robot scam you into uh, into into sending your uh, uh, your uh, uh, what do you call it your Coinbase login or anything like that. Yeah, I'm,
1: I mean I think those are like very like a digital clone versus like an assistant are like pretty different in my mind, right? And I don't know, I, for, for some reason for me, the digital clone just feels like, like it's exciting, but I'm just like, I as a user, like I'm just not sure if I would really use that personally um, or how well it's really going to be used as like a way for like, oh yeah, just talk to my digital clone. But I could be wrong. I mean, like After Party just announced a $5 million round, right? Mm-hmm. And they're doing digital clone, Uh, Delphi or Delphi founders Mm -hmm. company, digital clone, there's some really smart people using it. So like clearly the space is like getting funding and there's a lot of momentum happening in it. Um, But like practically speaking, like just like an AI executive assistant that can schedule meetings, do follow up emails and run them by you at the end of the day. Like that would be like the most commercially useful, like on like just an enterprise business level. I'm not sure having like a talking digital avatar would like add a lot of like productivity um, but maybe, like in the long run, it it really could.
3: It also um, adds uh, some level of liability too, because sure. you're in total control of what this AI is saying, and you know maybe it might say something you wouldn't want to say.
1: Yeah, and like do you want it to be like an interface for to improve you, and then you go out to the external world. You know that's like what an executive assistant would do versus like hey, just going on your behalf and doing things. That's like a little bit like whoa, that's
2: kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. So. Sorry, guys, I've been losing in and out a little bit, so I just bear with me today. I'm on this train and I'll follow the journey as I follow it here. But one thing I thought that was really fascinating today um, that I came across was, um, I, I forgot the name of the company. I'll have to get it. I'll check it out and I'll get it back for you guys. But um, in about like five minutes of, of speaking to an AI, um, speaking to this AI model, it'll train, uh, it'll, it'll build a voice model for you so that anything that you write email say text can be then sent as a as a voice memo as a you know it can be recorded as you are speaking it so i think that was also another fascinating step again this ability to again this goes to the um the concept of this digital twin if you will but now the fact that it can it can automate your voice i mean i could You know, write up a little text message and then leave a voicemail on my, you know, on my, uh, you know, grandmother's uh, voicemail and make sure she knows I called. Like, it's just like, there's just unbelievable um, use cases. And imagine now take that voice model and then you train an AI based on your texts, your emails, your Twitter, your social. Next thing you know, you could set up a phone call and and someone could think they're exactly talking to you. Now, like, there are some really interesting value propositions back and then there are some really scary risks. Um, and you know, you know, To me, this is the area where there's another major investment opportunity because I'll, I'll give you the perfect example bringing up my grandmother got me thinking. She gets phone calls where people try to pretend they're, they'll even use a fake voice where they'll pretend they're a family member asking for money. And like we've all told her now, she is not allowed to even answer these phone calls because, like, it's very scary. But the reality is, this is where I even connect AI um, to me back to blockchain, and why I think that everything is going to need uh, is going to need everything that we create—all content, all phone calls, all emails, all text messages. I mean, I'm talking everything is going to need um, a like proof of origination. Uh, it's going to need provenance. It's going to need to understand that it's authentic and verifiably and it's verifiably new, um, because there's really, it's going to get very, very difficult to, to actually prove that you were the originator of any kind of videos with deep fakes, voice now with, with voice models, text. So that all being said, like this is where, and I think this is where Worldcoin was mm-hmm. super interesting and okay. what they're, what they're going after. Um, is that I think that they're they're putting a foundation in place for some of that ident- that that ability to attach identity. So you know, uh, one of the you know to me one of the most exciting things that I that I think we could be investing in right now is the 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 infrastructure to enable all creation, all content, pretty much the internet at scale right now, the internet scale um, of, so that we know a real proof of record and a proof of contribution. Because in a a way, if you think about it, these data models are going to be for are going to be generated and formed with many contributors. Um, And you're going to be building things with different tools, and you're going to be using different tools. So like, and this might also enable and and this is the kind of the thread that I go on as an investor, and how I think about where I want to invest in the areas that I want to tackle and participate in, but like, then it goes into payments. Because then you start thinking about machine to machine payments, AI to AI payments. How do, like, if we are, if you are generating a, a new, if I create a model, and a data, uh, an AI application, and a piece of content, if you will, and can monetize mm-hmm. that piece of content, and everyone who's contributed to the training of that data set, to the, to, to the creation of that piece of content are all compensated in some type of fractional way to me, we're getting to the essence of decentralization, of autonomous. You know, this is this of of autonomy, of AI, of machine-to-machine payments, and this is the kind of stuff that I'm looking to to, to um, invest more actively and become a more. Um, and when I think about the the ecosystem around AI, so like that's what that's one of the major areas I'm looking for right now is that whole is that whole. The, the, almost I would call it the supply chain of content. Um, the supply chain of content I think is going to be just an, a, a massive, massive opportunity. And if we think through all the areas that will, that will be needed for that, when you talk of storage, when you talk of cloud computing, when you talk of, of processing, when you talk of you know, like scalable um, layer ones, you know, like verify, um, there might be uh, the component, like, you know, we all know that one of the major incentives for a token is, is verifiers and verify to people that verify that accurate data and that the accurate contributors are being compensated. So there's an entire economy that can really be developed and built around the supply chain of content. And it's an area that I'm really, really excited about. It's also an area I want to dig into today when Matt joins us because like, you know, he's at the, he's you what know, they're building with Oasis is at the formative point of content creation so it's it's an interesting discussion to be had and like you know one other point that i'll say like you know my just kind of going here it's like this also lends itself to even some enterprise companies who are afraid to use ai they don't know what the ai models are being um i don't know if I'm, i'm losing you guys but hopefully i'm not but they don't know what the ai models are being trained on and if they and if the data is a is like is legitimate and, and available for them to be to utilize because if they start to create things utilizing AI that ultimately gets them in trouble because it was trained on data that was proprietary. Yeah. Um, these enterprise organizations can find themselves in some trouble. So there's another there's another whole business use case around that.
1: Yeah, and, and it's funny that you say that. Just like going off on that, this company Uberduck was like using a lot of m- music voices, you know, from artists, and then like a lot of the studios started reaching out and being like, hey, like, this is, you can't use voices, you know? But when some of the pioneers and forward-thinking artists were like, hey, I don't care, use my voice, we need to figure out royalty of how I can get paid, but anyone can run with my voice and make songs with it. And Grimes is one of the forward-thinking people here, where she's kind of saying, uh, you know, like, uh, you can use my voice, anyone can use it, and it's just 50 50 royalty. Sign up for the contract. And so now, like, she's creating a platform and she's a pioneer. But I think every artist you know, Drake, whoever it is, can be like, you can use my voice, and there's like an easy way to share royalties on it, and then people can use that to make songs. Um, and that seems like the, like the
2: future. I'd be, I'd be really surprised if in, anime, if, if, if in the future, in the very near future of animated movies, um, actors are actually utilized. I would be very, very surprised. Why, if you can use the voice of an actor um, and, and get their, put their name on the movie, have them involved in the promotion, have them involved in the marketing, but not have to deal with them, <laughs> not have to deal with their demands, not have to deal with their schedules. I mean, you could, I mean, like, the Morgan Freeman of the world could, could be doing, he might do 12 movies next year. He might do 25 movies next year, 50 movies. Because of the fact that his voice is something that's so recognizable, and if it's, util- and, it's and if you can utilize it, and he could be in multiple movies at once, I mean that is completely disruptive. And I am I am comp- I am utterly confident that is a viable near term. So like, you know, the the the, the barrier to create um, animated films and animated TV shows is going to become far far lower. We're going to see a lot more of that than of of that. And then the quality of animation is going to get higher and higher. And that's going to be an interesting, it's going to lead to some interesting new types of, uh, of, of content that we consume, entertaining content that we consume. So I'll be curious to see how that evolves.
1: And, and going beyond content, I'm curious what you guys think of just like AI in general, like how, when we look back like a decade from now, what kind of quote unquote AI companies are going to command like a $10 billion market cap? Can, well, really, yeah, really. can
0: we just talk about like bloomberg's recent article they highlighted 10 startups but like open ai 27 billion valuations stability ai one bill runway like 1.5 bill hugging face two bill cohere two bill anthropic five bill like these are crazy valuations for companies that have been around for a year to two years and it's crazy to think like And then we talk about this AI bubble and it's like, well, look at these valuations along with other ones. It's like we're back in that Web3 crypto bubble a year and a half ago. So, yeah, I'd love to discuss like valuations. Go ahead, Joe.
2: But I'll start. I mean to cut you off. I I actually think the bubble hasn't even started yet. I I don't think we've started. Mm -hmm. I don't even think the bubble has. I don't even think a bubble has formed. That's how early I think we are. I mean, you have to realize these LLMs came on the market. When did ChatGPT come on the market, guys? A year ago? What, a year? Yeah, a year? Year a, <laughs> a year and a half. A year and a half? ChatGPT, but they, they,
1: had, they had the first one back in like 2019.
2: <clears throat> no, but I'm talking mainstream. like The, the, the first yeah. mainstream adoption of, of ChatGPT where LLMs became on the radar of investors, of of enterprise organizations, of researchers, et cetera, like taking the really taking it to the next level. Listen, I was in an AI. I was a co-founder of an AI startup and did a recruitment process automation. And was involved. I was using IBM Watson when there was one person supporting their entire platform. I was using. I, I mean, I, I was I was one of the first people to test Hugging Faces models um, years and years ago at my AI company. So like should I was, have invested. i actually i actually if i had a fund then i would have because i even Mm -hmm. almost had my i almost had waiting my company waiting wendy invest because we were one of the first testers so like i was around the natural language processing space i saw it it was nowhere i was wait this was i was it was a prime example of us being too early The, the, the market was nowhere near where we are today not even freaking close so you know the reality is this is brand this is still brand new so to me the answer of is this a bubble? Um, Are we in a bubble? I don't even think we've scratched the surface of like, I think we're just starting to chew the gum. I don't even think we've started to blow the bubble. That's how early and how much potential there is an opportunity there is in this market. Now, keep in mind, part of the reason why I say this is because AI is very seamlessly ubiquitous across everything that we do day to day. So the consumer market and the 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 revenue potential and the financial opportunity is is almost infinite. Like it's almost like there it can go it can go anywhere. Whereas like things like you know again as a frontier tech founder myself and an investor, you know when we were talking about Google Glass or wearable technology or VR or AR, there was not much of a financial market. Um, uh, there was not much dollars being spent, which means that innovation is going to be slow and opportunities are gonna be lower because it's, it was really just for the early adopters. And the same thing is with crypto. Crypto is a, is, is a new technical paradigm, but like it really needs to have its own, it, it needs to be introduced through uh, a, a, a new architecture, new engineering, new engineering cap- uh, capabilities. Um, it has new, like, completely new like um, foundational like thoughts and philosophies and economies and beliefs it, it needs. It needs. Like it truly is closer to almost like the needs of a religion to be successful when it comes to the blockchain. Because you need belief a little bit. A little of it is needing belief. It's trustless systems. It's believing in currencies. It's believing in economies. And like to me, that is where uh, fuck. I might be losing guys, but um, but to me, that's a huge difference. Where AI doesn't need any of that stuff. Hmm.
0: So I guess like for investors out there, like you're saying that the bubble hasn't even happened. There's going to be a ton of more high valuations. Like, should they be scared? Like, should they be hesitant to invest in this space? Or like, we've spoken a lot about microchips, a lot about different LLs. Like, where should people be spending their time kind of looking at?
2: I mean, if if I'm an angel investor, if I'm an angel investor or a VC right now, I am actively, actively looking to, deployed capital in and around the AI ecosystem because uh, and and granted listen this is going to be one of those moments where there will you will have to sift through certain companies that are going to get a a too high uh, oversaturated invest uh, valuation but that doesn't mean that there's Mm -hmm. not going to be massive opportunity massive opportunity but then the other thing that I think investors need to pay attention to here and this is like can you guys hear me or not no we can Mm -hmm. I hear you okay Sorry, and the other piece of this before we, I know we gotta bring on that in a minute. Um, but the other thing that I would say here is like, it is our job as in investors and as curators of deal flow that we provide to our angel syndicate to really understand the landscape and the competitive landscape. So like, I think one of the things I'm gonna be looking for when it comes to AI companies is, is this a business or is it a feature? Um, because if it's a feature, how how concerned do we have to be about a, um, a, larger, a larger company that already is established in a, in a similar industry, just p- adding this feature to their customer base and, and, and rapidly eating up market share. So like, those are the types of things that as, as, as investors and as curators of deals for our, our LP base, especially in the Redbird Syndicate, we really need to prioritize.
0: Yep, no, that makes sense. Um, well, let's bring up Matt. Matt is the founder of Oasis, one of our portfolio companies. Matt, how are you doing today? Welcome to Redbeard Radio. Uh,
4: it's great to be here. Uh, it's, uh, it's a very exciting time for, for AI and for, for the world. And, uh, and I'm excited to, to talk about it. I was just listening to the stuff you guys were talking about around provenance and, uh, and, and verification of identity of humanity. And these are issues that, you know, myself and my co-founder have been thinking about for a long time. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to get into it.
2: Matt, you have such an interesting story and journey. Um, before we dive into some talking about the, the landscape and can you just talk a little bit about, give us your, your journey, your story, and, like what, and, and what you're working on today.
4: Yeah, I, I, I'm a Forex entrepreneur. I've been building practical applications of AI. Uh, for most of my career in technology going back to 2008. My first company was called Speaker Text. Uh, We're creating a new kind of interface interacting with video, using text and interactive transcripts, uh, and speech to text, which obviously is very related to what we're doing with AI. In 2015, I co-founded a company called Dishcraft Robotics, making dishwashing robots for restaurants, Sells a service. In 2019, I co-founded Oasis, uh, we're doing way before Generative AI was cool and was called that. Uh, we're building ultra low bandwidth video chat using AI avatars and generating video locally on device and on iPhone. Uh, we ran into some issues where we literally were physically melting iPhones. Uh, I was demoing for Sam Altman at one point. He was very excited at three minutes in at, uh, at around the eight minute mark. He started complaining that phone was getting hot. Uh, and that his hand was burning and then we crashed his phone. Um, And so we had literally, we had 12 iPhones in QA. For QA, within a month, three of them no longer had functioning cameras because we'd physically melted the circuits. Um, Now Apple uses our software to test their hardware. Uh, Early this year, we pivoted um, a little side project that I was working on where I could just talk and ramble and have an LLM rewrite what I was saying in an email or blog post song, script for a TikTok video, uh, shared that with some friends and just kind of blew up. Uh, and so we pivoted the whole company to focus on that, uh, launched in April, uh, we just raised, uh, closed a, a $4 million round that was oversubscribed that, that you guys participated in again. Uh, and uh, yeah, before that, actually just going back in 2018, I invested in a company called Not Evil AI that built the first AI to protect deep fake videos. Uh, and my co-founder, CTO, is the CEO of that company. Um, so all the stuff that you're talking about, and your grandma and whatnot—like these are things that I've been thinking about, and we've been thinking about like, for a very long time. And as well as like, how do you think about platform risks and incumbents and all these things? It's like if you're building in this space, you know, you really—it's—it's the—it's the Super Bowl of of, of internet capitalism. Um, and the, the prize is gigantic. Um, but because of that, the competition is also is, is also very fierce.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And yep. all of which makes it very, very exciting.
0: And I think that's so true where the competition, it's obviously huge. So how are you thinking about differentiating your product from some of the other kind of companies that are building in the space out there?
4: Yeah, you know, what we've, we've thought a lot about this. And what I've concluded is that at the end of the day, there's these really powerful capabilities that come with these LLMs and text-to-speech and all these different models. Um, and, you know, if you're in San Francisco, you might think, well, everyone knows how to use this. Everyone is like a super prompt engineer or what have you. Um, and that's just not the case in reality. You know, there's a lot of people who are like, is cool, but how do I use this? And so we think about with Oasis is how do we make these tools practically useful and kind of idiot proof for, you know, normal people, for normies uh, in use cases that are uh, frequent and every day and not just something that's a cool demo, but it is useful on, on a daily basis. Uh, and so the way that we think about that is one, we try to abstract away a lot of the technical complexity and the need for things like prompt engineering, and then, build applications that work cross-platform, not just on the web, on iPhone, we're launching an, an Apple Watch app this week, you know, uh, we're going to have a desktop app, where Siri integration, they can work on Google, in the Google ecosystem, they can work in the Mac ecosystem, uh, they can work everywhere. Because communication, and that at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do, is we are trying to solve The problem of human communication and it's a perfect problem for ai to solve because if you think about it one of the big limitations of ai is hallucination and how do you know what's real or what's not we do it it's just the way the product works as you talk you ramble and the ai understands what you're trying to say you transcribe it and then rewrite it for you in any format in any language. And so you don't actually, you're not leveraging the AI to think in really broad, and abstract terms. You're saying, okay, just translate what this person is saying and rewrite it and form it and reformat it. And so hallucination is much less of an issue. Um, but also communication is something that you do all day. You do it all day, every day. It's a pain in the ass for most people, right? You know. Everyone struggles with communication. If you run a company, you know, like communication is like the hardest thing. And, um, and it's fundamental to being a human being. And so we think about making it super easy, integrated to people's existing workflows, and then making it useful uh, and something that you just don't have to think about. And it's, a, it's, a, it's available everywhere, where, wherever you need it. And then add more. So, and more so Matt, what would you there. say
2: are the. Oh, no, sorry, Matt. I, I don't know if you hear me, guys. Um, what would you say in the short, like, near term, what are the immediate, like, predominant use cases that people are applying this to? Is my first part of the question. Now I'll follow up with a follow up there.
4: Yeah. So, honestly, the most basic use case is just writing emails, right? Like, everyone has to write emails. And the number one, like, the trigger for using oasis today is like you're like ah i don't really don't want to write this email you know uh ah, i don't really don't want to write this blog post so content creation and writing emails are sort of the bread and butter of oasis and whenever someone thinks like ah this is something that's i don't want to do that's going to be a lot of work we want them to think of oasis and to use the product to do this thing that you have to do, but it but it, but it's painful. Um, and maybe you might not do, or you might put off. You know, you could also be on the go. You wanna take a note or you wanna write an email, respond to somebody, but it's more than just a, yep, that sounds great, but you need to, you kinda need to express some sort of complex thought. And you know, you're struggling, you have the ideas in your head, but you're struggling to explain it in a way that's easy for other people to understand. And so that's really the bread and butter
2: of Oasis. Yeah, Matt, that got me thinking of like an interesting use case. Something that I think about a lot is I have an idea that I want to tell ChatGPT to do, but I so in my head, I just want to be able to say something. It would be really cool if I could talk to Oasis and then it generate the most efficient prompt for me based on what I want it to like do Um, from a conversational perspective. So if I'm like, I really need to write this email um, kind of like informally to uh, a friend inviting them somewhere, blah, blah, blah. And then it puts together the perfect prompt. um, That would be another really cool, I can imagine that being a really interesting use case.
4: Yeah, no, that's definitely something we're working on. Um, Sort of as an interim, you know, step towards that. Well, the one of the magic oasis is that you talk and it'll instantly generate multiple sort of rewrites in parallel. And so you get an email, you get a blog post, you know, you get an essay, you get a we have a bullshit filter. So, you know, like it'll just take, you know, if you just word vomit, it'll just extract the, 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 the all the bullshit and all the rambling. And what we see a lot of people do is they'll take this as a starting place to create, you know, they'll sort of like take pieces from kind of like Lego pieces and put them together, you know, because I think one of the challenges is the act of writing is also the act of thinking. And so it's not just about you say it and you get it all out there. It's about this process of iteration and how do you actually get, how do you get what's out of your head into a format that other people can understand in that process, you end up actually thinking through the idea. And we try to make that really, really easy for people. And that's, there's something we haven't built yet, but we're, we're thinking a lot about is having sort of like a, a bot that is speech-based, um, that can listen to you, listen to what you're saying and, and ask questions and ask follow-ups and try to structure like, okay, get all the information, fill it all in, and then take all that feedback, kind of like how an editor would work. Where Edgar were like, well, what did you mean there? Explain this concept. Take all of that and then say, okay, now we have asked a lot of questions. Now let's do a rewrite based off of the solid multiple points of feedback versus just like a single turn iteration, which is kind of how LLMs work today. Makes, um, total, if se- if makes total
2: sense. Makes total sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. What would you say then, like, so now in terms of like the longer term, like, you know, five to 10 years off what is the ambitious big moon star vision for you for, for, you know, for OHS? Like where do you, where do you want to see it go? What do you want to see it do? Like what's the dream?
4: Yeah. There's sort of like three components to that, but at the high level, our, our vision is we're starting off and trying to build the best writing tool in the world for people Mm -hmm. who think faster than they can write. And, once we have the tool and we can integrate in people's workflows, ultimately, we want to build a network where you talk to other people, AI understands what you're trying to say and translates it in a personalized way for the person you're talking to. Because we have this concept of language, like even just think of English, we all technically speak English language. But if you're talking to an engineer, you're talking to your mom, or you're talking to your sister, Talking to somebody who comes from a different culture, you know, an immigrant. These words all mean different things. And we all like to consume information in different ways. And what I believe the future is, is that Oasis and AI understands what you're trying to say and translates it into the perfect format, the perfect medium. So going beyond just a writing tool, you know, maybe it rewrites it and then generates it as speech. Maybe it generates it as video. Maybe it generates images, speech, and video, um, where basically OASIS becomes a meta language above all these different mediums and languages that we sort of have invented today. Like technology, or language is a form of technology for human communication. And the AI just operates abstra- as this abstraction layer and generates personalized content for both the speaker or the sender of the message and the receiver. Um, and so in terms of the roadmap, we're going to be sort of building out this tool so it works everywhere on different platforms, but adding multiple modalities. So we just started adding your first text-to-speech feature. So you can rewrite and then have that on the web. You can have it spoken as uh, you can have the text uh, spoken. So if you don't want to read, you can listen, um, you know, and we're going to add more and more of these mod- modalities. So it doesn't matter whether you start with writing or speaking, Or pictures or what have you kind of translate that to everything and build tools not just for creation but also for consumption so you know one of the things that i do oftentimes with oasis someone sends you a really long email and i'll just take it you know it says and i'll put it run it through the bs filter and i'll just like okay eliminate everything and all right great this is what i actually needed to know um and so as you learn what someone how someone expresses ideas, but also likes to consume it, you can actually really understand a person and ultimately you connect that in a network where AI is on both sides and you integrate things like biometric identity and uh, you know the provenance and things like that. If you're talking about provenance tracking, then you can actually communicate in a way where you can create effective communication for everybody, literally every human being on the planet. Um, I think the last part of that, which I think we're a couple of years away from, is going from this cloud-based model where it's very expe- computationally expensive to running more and more and more of the models locally on your device. And if you do that, it goes from being this expensive process using GPU to being a literally costless, zero marginal costs, just software running running on your device. What is um, what is
2: your, what is needed for that? What what do we what is like the shift in infrastructure? Or technology to enable what you just said. Yeah,
4: the biggest thing is the memory limitations of um, of the of the devices and the models today require a lot of memory um, to be able to, to to function. You know, if you get above like a thirteen billion parameter model, uh, like Llama two, you can get that running locally on maybe like an M1 Max or an M2, but you run up against some hard limits and the phone doesn't have as much memory and stuff like that. I think that there'll be a combination of the hardware will get more powerful, but I, I think also the models and the software will get more efficient. And if you look at the history of AI, you know, the models, just the software gets more and more and more efficient, you know, whatever you was, did five years ago, you need less compute power today. And so I was just thinking
2: about, Yeah, know, I was just thinking back to like I used to create websites, in sixth grade, for like, like stores at the mall, and like I remember the graphics were massive and loading was slow, and like this seems like a problem that's inevitably going to be improved upon. So, okay, so let's let's just let's just follow that thread for a minute. So, if models are running on devices and costs come down drastically, like what is the what does that do for the like what's the major impact? that we're going to experience as end users and consumers? Yeah, I think, you
4: know, today we're compute limited and cost limited, right? If you're using, let's say, you know, an LLM to rewrite every single email, every piece of communication, that's just going to be very expensive from a cloud compute perspective. And so today, you know, like we have a subscription model and we have, uh, you know, because we have, our business model, we charge people, because it's expensive to do what we do. Well, you can actually make free products, you know, like, you know, things like WhatsApp. And, you know, the history of the internet, so much has been about this assumption of zero marginal cost of doing everything. Well, with AI, we've kind of gone back and now it looks more like consumer, you know, the CPG products where things cost money. And so you kind of have to target business use cases, you have to sort of like throttle usage, or you have to raise a lot, a lot, a lot of money to subsidize, to subsidize growth. And in a post-ZERP environment, that's, you know, that, that's challenging. Um, and so I think that as, thing, as the costs come down, uh, we'll go from these like enterprise use cases, as an investor, that's what you see a lot of. It's like, you know, B2B software, B2B SaaS, and it'll open up more possibility for consumer use cases. And
2: free business models. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I com- I completely agree. Do, do
1: you do you see a lot of these like using like Oasis as like like you would go to it just like a traditional app? Or are these gonna be plugging into like in the back end of a lot of apps that we already use? Like how do you think about that?
4: Yeah, I think both. You know, the way I the way I envision the product is that there's an app you can use. But it should it should do, uh, it should integrate seamlessly with all your existing workflows. So, for mm-hmm. example, one of the things we're working on is a keyboard, you know, an iOS keyboard. Um, we've been talking about and you know a Mac app, you know, a browser plugin. How do you integrate in all your existing tools? But you know, and I think this is something where startups have an opportunity because Google Bard, they're going to want you to use it. In the Google sandbox, right? They're not gonna want they're gonna try to tie you into their specific platforms. But most people, you don't just live on in, in the iOS world, you don't just live in Apple, you don't just live in Google, you don't just live in Microsoft. You know, you you move between Slack and Notion and iMessage and all these different things. And so there's an opportunity, I believe, for a cross-platform layer. That follows you around everywhere and isn't trying to sort of like reinforce an existing business model, isn't trying to push you to an existing platform, but that is really truly platform agnostic. Um, and as much as you can integrate and make it feel native, that's, I think, one of the product challenges for a company like us. You know, okay, you're not, you know, we're not Apple, we're not, uh, you know, we're not Google. How do you integrate the product in a way that feels native? to that specific platform, even if it is is, is is an add-on. And that's a that's a design challenge. It's a product challenge, but I think it, it's something that, that we're up for and, and really exciting to tackle.
0: Exciting yeah. To tackle. I mean, I think that's where there's definitely a gap in the market. Like I think anybody else could say right now when we use chat, GBT, you say, hey, here's an email, answers email and does it in a robotic, very wordy email. But if it's actually to able to take your voice across platforms your twitter your gmail your like whatever you're using to talk to people and even have your voice and your wording i think that's the future of ai but i know that you mentioned a lot like obviously about the memory and actually being able to compute all that data so I guess like, if you were to think about like, how long do you think it's gonna be before we could really get to that next part of AI where it's no longer a robot talking, but it really is, as we mentioned, the beginning of this call, your digital twin.
4: I think it'll happen. The capabilities, the raw technical capabilities, I think will emerge over the next 12 to 24 months in terms of doing it locally on device. I'd give it probably one to two years, like one or two Mm hardware cycles, but in terms of actually integrating your data and making it more like your digital twin, I think that's possible today. Uh, Mm -hmm. It just, it takes engineering and it takes being thoughtful about how you do it, how do you integrate it? And at the end of the day, these products are gonna win because you get frequency, because you get stickiness, because people actually use the product. Like creating a cool demo, that's easy, you know, relatively speaking. But actually making a sticky product that people use and where you can get that reinforcement learning from, from user feedback, from human feedback, and it gets better and better over time, that's gonna happen from just consistent product usage and focusing on how are people using this? How do we make this better? Tweaking, 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 polishing, polishing, polishing—that is, you know, if you're building, if you're building a, a consumer application or just a great product, uh, you know, is what you have to do. Um, the technical capabilities, though, exist today. Uh, it's just a matter of engineering it and integrating it so that it's actually useful and not just a tech demo. Because there's a lot of tech demos out there, which as investors, yeah. I'm, sure you, I'm sure you've seen.
2: Yeah. yeah. Part of me is like. Part of me is like said that Steve Jobs is not around today because I think that AI presents really the next great opportunity to change the iPhone because, like, if you really think about it, like, I don't know about you guys, but are you like really excited for the next this iPhone, whatever it is, fifteen? Like, no, they've you know, said so
0: much stuff about how it's not innovative at all.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not excited. It's like it's become incredibly repetitive. The camera's a little better. The memory's a little better. Everything's a little better. But like the reality is that AI gives presents an opportunity to reinvent the the phone from the ground up. I'm, I'm talking about user experience. I'm talking about like incorporating, like not just Siri, but I'm talking about speaking to my phone and like really just changing behavior, changing user experience, changing the hardware to be, AI first and AI compatible, I think that's going to be when we when we get excited about the next iPhone, I think it's going to be because they become AI first. Um, And the the AirPods become the primary, like, it's not my finger anymore. It's almost my AirPod that is as as important as the touch. Um, Whereas today, it's not the case, um, in my opinion. So, you know, I I feel Um, bad because I... I, I agree in general,
4: but the one thing I will say is that, you know, speaking is incredible for some things, but a lot of what you need to do in the world requires a lot of information and having images and text. Like imagine if you had a employee that you're onboarding to your company and you didn't have any written documentation and you literally had to tell them Explain every single thing. You couldn't use images. You couldn't use text. That would no. suck. Like it would just no, be absolutely. so laborious, right? And so, actually, you need multimodality. You need the ability to, to leverage speech when that's efficient, but also, you know, leverage images, leverage text, and be able to actually move seamlessly between these mediums, if it, you know, for the specific use case. Um, which is just a clarification, because I fundamentally
2: agree with you. Like all, no, no, no. I, 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 but it, so it's a, it's it, To me, it's a design challenge. That's what I. That's why I bring Steve Jobs up is because I agree completely that this is a hybrid, visual, and and audio and intelligence oriented new experience and interface and interactions um, that we have to enable. It's almost like to me, what's so challenging about this world that we work in right now, which is the hybrid workplace, like remote, some people are remote, some people are in person. And this, like the user experience, to me, until we get to a place where augmented reality and virtual reality is completely, it's completely natural and immersive, like, I don't think we're going to have a optimal user experience for the the hybrid workplace like all remote that that one's that's one way all in person another way but the hybrid is just very difficult and i don't think we've designed for it yet until technology enables it and i actually think that we're and i can i almost give this like kind of analogy to it because to me the hybrid iphone or the which is you know this what I've been describing to me enables this entirely new user experience that we're gonna to have to design for but you know my, my my other question for you Matt and like and this kind of kind of goes for everybody but I, you know Matt I want to just really kind of jump in, in here you've been using AI for so long you've been working in the AI ecosystem especially over this last year everything's gone bananas if you were to put an investor hat on, where would you be looking to zero in on in terms of investment opportunities like, Whether it's infra or application layer, like what are the things that excite you, and where do you see opportunity from an investment perspective, or or even to say that and to frame that as where do you want to see where do you want to see capital go, in this space.
4: Yeah, I I think um, at the infra layer, there I would love to see people build chips and chip ecosystem that is reverse compatible with CUDA and the NVIDIA ecosystem. Because NVIDIA has this lock on GPU, and it's not just the GPU. If you're building that, there's this whole ecosystem of CUDA. And it's a software ecosystem, which is really NVIDIA's mode. And with open source, it's so easy to take, to clone a Git repo. And then if you're running on NVIDIA hardware, it just works well, you know, maybe you could do that with AMD and some of these, but it's it's not guaranteed to work. Creating a very solid reverse compatible, um, you know, open, maybe open ecosystem, open layer, where you can get the benefits or many of the benefits of NVIDIA without being tied into the software. That's something that I would love to see. There's probably some technical limitations there that, I haven't thought through but in the choke point Nvidia is the, the that that's that's the choke point in the whole in the whole ecosystem they have they have the power because everyone's dependent on on, on GPU um, hey. and yeah
2: all right but Aiden the in around the chip space um shit, I might be losing you guys but uh you know how wh- wh- where where do they play like what role do they play or how do they
1: differentiate or how are they? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we just to give you some context, Matt, we invested in like a next generation chip company. This was a company that kind of spun out of Google X lab, uh, working on next generation compute under Sergey Brin, who's been fascinated with quantum compute and how to improve computing speeds. Um, So these guys spun out to just try to come up with like software, like you're saying to start, because it's hard to build your own hardware um, to just plug into existing systems. I think quantum computing has been one of those things that's always just a few years away. Um, And it's like, hasn't really got to like mainstream adoption. Um, But I do think like over the course of, you know, it's going to happen eventually that we're going to have these next generation computes um, that can make, you know, solutions for AI a lot easier. So yeah, we invest in the chip company to kind of hopefully make the AI ecosystem accelerate faster. Yeah, I think another
4: layer here... Uh, sorry, is is actually being able to easily port workloads for inference across different clouds. And, you know, because every cloud vendor wants to tie you in to their platform, but because the cost of compute is so high, you want to be able to instantly sort of arbitrage, like maybe the spot market, go from AWS to Google Cloud, to Crusoe, to, you know, whatever random things and being able to easily port uh, models and sort of like instantly switch your compute and abstracting those layers away. If I was an investor, that's actually something that I've been wanting to see and hoping uh, somebody somebody would do because I just think there's a huge opportunity there um, around the cost and and migrating
2: Just some thought. So Matt, we we talked about this when you just walked in, but we never really dug too deep and I wanna just touch on it again. Um, so I'm you know, we'll go a little bit over because so I just want to hit this thread. We talked about identity. We talked about, you know, um, the, I provenance, we talked about, you know, your your exposure to the deep fake world and stuff like that. You know, I don't is it gonna like I guess like part of me thinks about what is blockchain's role in AI is part of what I want to think of, is what I wanted to talk about. Like I almost feel like this is going to be nice.
0: And we lost him. I think that was a really good thought right there. Oh, sorry. But... Am I...
2: Sorry. Sorry. Am I here? You're kind of here. Hear me? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So my my quick thought is what is the is what is it gonna take for this like kind of idea that we need provenance, that we need um, authenticity, we need um, this like kind of like thread of um, like con- understanding who contributed what to what content that's being created is, I think there's gonna be like something that happens that makes us go from nice to have to must have. Um, because like, this feels like it's gonna change everything. But that when, when you need to make a material change like that, and we're seeing this with crypto, you know, in itself, like a material change to the way we think about the internet, you know, which is the, the, what's going on with crypto and and, and financial systems, etc. Those are a big undertaking. like. You know, right now with AI, it's getting adopted at a use case by use case level. But when we think about the internet and content being created and then having some level of transparency around the origination of that piece of content. So, like, I want to talk to you a little bit about what do you foresee? The, is, it, is it a realistic opportunity for investment? Is it a near-term opportunity for investment? And then where are the specific opportunities when thinking about content, its origination, deep fake protection, all of that kind of stuff?
4: Yeah, I think that detecting stuff in the wild is going to be very difficult, and I don't—I'm not very hopeful there. Like any solution that requires everyone to switch and track and use blockchain or what, like that's not going to happen. I don't—I don't believe that. Um, but what I do believe there's going to be a need for is a new kind of communication networks that has integrated biometric. Identity verification that is probably leverages zero knowledge proofs that's decentralized. I think you'll probably have uh, NFT-based AI model encryption related to biometrics and biometric verification. This is honestly, this is sort of our bet. This has always been what we've uh, how we've thought about the world and where we think the world's going. And no basis, is building a new kind of network that assumes that you actually need to verify the humanity uh and the individual identity of people in a way that is privacy preserving and that is decentralized so you're actually empowering empowering the individual so i actually think that i don't think that a one-off solution that's just like oh a biometric identity thing or a tool here a tool there i don't think that's going to work i think what you need is a vertically integrated communication network that integrates identity biometrics, the actual communication, encryption can verify both sides. Because what's going to happen is the existing, you know, the existing network, starting with the phone companies, right? They're sort of open to any sort of AI, deep fake. It's going to be very hard. How do you know who the hell you're talking to? Right? You're talking about your grandma. I've had this issue. Someone called my dad. It ended up being me Totally. You know, sit and he, you know, uh, wired them uh, Western Union five grand. Um, these are. These, this is going to happen more and more, and I don't think whether it's Zoom, whether it's the phone company, anything that just allows for text input and sort of this open interface, those are going to become very noisy kind of dangerous platforms fret with identity, you know, uh, identity, impersonation, fraud, that kind of things. And what you're going to see the emergence of is end-to-end networks that verify humanity that verify you know, the authenticity of people biometrically so that you actually know who you're talking to, who's a bot and who's not. Um, and so that's where I think there's an opportunity for new kinds of networks to be built, new kinds of social networks, new kinds of communication infrastructure. Uh, but I think it has to be vertically integrated. I don't think you can just solve these things with sort of like point solution technologies.
0: yep that makes sense um well i know we're up on time so i think we're gonna wrap it up here but guys i appreciate everybody hopping on for another episode of Redbeard radio aiden thanks so much for being a guest co-host and matt thanks so much for coming on and talking about oasis we're streaming this every wednesday at 3 p.m appreciate any feedback any comments let us know but so to keep doing this and learning along the way so thanks everybody for joining
2: Thanks, Thanks everybody. Awesome. Bye. Appreciate it. This has been a Redbeard Ventures
0: production.